Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining us on the line to uh, further talk about this story, John Gorman Charlton, the Master Mariner and Managing Director of Bridgestock Consulting. Uh, they do maritime training and consulting. Uh, John, uh, from your perspective, I know you, that you're deeply involved in following this industry. Uh, what's the situation look like from where you sit? Yeah, good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Neil. Yes, as you rightly say, it's a, it's a very bad situation. And the last time we talked, I, I mentioned that Samuel Johnson quote about prison and seafaring. And of course, really, the situation has got worse since then, because since then we've had uh, crew members on cruise ships, particularly the hotel staff and the entertainment side, and they've gone off contract and off pay and stuck in a really small cabin. So actually even worse than being in prison. So they're, they're stuck on the ship, but they're not even being paid at this point, many or most of them? Yeah, that's right. That would probably be the, you know, probably the, probably the majority. I mean, you've got the sort of, you know, the minority, of the, you know, the, the deck crew, the engine crew, and that minority of the hotel staff who just keep the sort of the ship driving. But obviously, all of those who are there to look after the passengers, and that's the majority, yes, uh, you know, many of them have gone off contract, have gone off pay. Some of them are having to pay for their Wi-Fi, and, uh, and there's even one report of somebody being made to pay for their soap, which sounds like a bit of profiteering by somebody on board, because at least that's something that ship owners normally supply yeah. with soap. This is shocking, John. Why, you know, why, uh, we, I don't know that you know the answer to this, but why would a cruise line, a massive cruise line that makes untold amounts of money every year, not do the minimum to keep these folks comfortable and, oh my gosh, clean and, and give them free Wi-Fi during such an unprecedented moment? It seems like that would be an, a natural kind of CSR outreach uh, for, for most companies to, to give to their employees who are stuck in a situation they don't want to be in. Well, I would agree with you, Glenn, and that that really should have been the minimum that they all did, but they haven't. And, um, and of course, it, well, it reminds me that, you know, when I was seafaring, we used to joke that if they could get away with it, ship owners, you know, would employ us and, and not pay us and only give us water and rice. <laughs> and they would then complain about the, the cost of the water and rice. And, <laughs> and this situation doesn't look that different, does it? Yeah. Well, this is the thing, John, that I don't understand, and, and I'm sure our listeners don't, if you can put us in the picture. According to reports, more than 70,000 crew alone are in waters off the U.S. So you've got 70,000 people marooned on ships because they're following regulations laid down by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, in the U.S., They can't get off the boats because the CDC has issued a 100-day no-sail order, which lasts well into the summer. Okay, I get it. They don't want to bring COVID-19 ashore. But this is my question, John. If it's a government stipulation, shouldn't the crew on the ships be therefore, you know, eligible for funding from the government? They're just following government orders here, aren't they? Well, that's a very good good point, Neil, and a good question. And I would agree with you that the, the governments will say, no, you know, we introduce the rules and we will change them as often as we can. And it's up to the employers to look after the staff. Yeah. Is there any uh, global organization that is, that is stepping in trying to advocate for this group of people? And we've, we've seen people here in, in Asia as well that are falling into the same situation. Is there, no, is there no global organization for people that work on board ships that can advocate to, to help get some relief for these people, or at least some standard of, of living for them? 
Well, that's another good question, Glenn. Yeah, I mean, at the very top level, you know, we have the International Maritime Organization, you know, which sets the safety standards at sea. We also have the International Labor Organization. And those two bodies, you know, between them have, have developed sort of minimum standards for seafarers on board, um, which also include things like minimum standards of, of medical and dental care, because that is another thing, in addition to some of those issues you've mentioned, that seafarers on cruise ships and elsewhere are finding that if they need medical or dental treatment ashore, they can't get it because countries won't let them in. So that's, so there are these international agreements around, but some countries at the moment, because of COVID-19, are not following them. And then working on the seafarers, behind, to be fair, you've got employer organizations, you've got the unions uh, and others. But, yeah, it's just a very bad situation all around. Yeah, we're talking with John Gorman, Charlton Master Mariner. And I wanted to ask you, John, what is... The, is there an end goal here? Are, we, are there any dates in mind where this could finally end? We mentioned there the 100-day no-sale lasting into the summer, but that was issued in mid-March, and none of us are immunologists, so we've got to be careful to talk about things that we know nothing about. But I would assume that any COVID-19 on board, if they're going to catch it, they would have caught it already. So do it. You've got friends in the industry. Are there, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Do they have any dates in mind when they might be allowed off these ships? Well, it, it is happening. I mean, you know, people are getting off. I mean, um, you know, some have managed to sort of get charter flights home uh, where their home countries would allow because, unbelievably, there's a small number of countries which are simply refusing to mm. take crew members back, which is just astonishing, isn't it? Um, but other than that, then there are, there are ships sailing, there are cruise ships sailing today with some of those crews on board going to various parts of the world um, to actually sort of drop. So, for example, uh, Royal Caribbean have got a ship that's due in India in early June with Indian crew members. Uh, off in, you know, closer to home, of course, for our Filipino friends, there are as much as 20 ships in Manila Bay with about 7,000 Filipino crew members on board. They've already done 14 days in-room quarantine. The Philippine authorities are making them do another 14 days quarantine, and they're going to need to get a a COVID-19 test before they're let off. So those kind of things uh, are happening, but it's obviously much slower than anybody wanted. John, of course, we are, we're talking not only about the cruise ship folks, but there are uh, people that are working on the container ships and, and other seagoing uh, vessels uh, that are trapped. Tell us about what the living arrangements would be like. You have spent years on ships. What typically would their room look like? Um, would they have a window? Do they get a balcony? You know, what, what is the, uh, the typical living environment for people that are stuck on these ships now for months? Yes, well, in that case, some of the cruise, some of the cruise staff, uh, cruise ships, they might actually be in a better position than the cargo ships because some of them, you might have seen from the photographs, have been lucky enough to get a, a passenger cabin with a balcony. That obviously is not something they would normally have. Normally, the the crew, you know, the, the cruise staff would be, you know, down in the bowels of the ship and may not even have a porthole. Uh, on uh, on cargo ships, again, you know, you, most people will have a porthole, but you certainly won't have a balcony. But your living space, of course, which you're going to be in for months on end, is much smaller than your normal hotel room. So it's not a particularly nice place to be cooped up. And have you managed to speak to any friends in the industry? Have you managed to chat to anybody about how they're doing at the moment, just broadly? 
Well, generally, I think that, you know, they're, they're trying to be cheerful, particularly, you know, on the cruise ships who are obviously, you know, there the job is to give the passengers a sort of, you know, a happy time. But yeah, I mean, some of them, uh, one, they've been spent, they've been at sea for almost 60 days. And they're now in the process of, of getting their, their crew off. They're sort of transferring to other ships, you know, which are sailing to different parts of the world. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're trying to be cheerful, but it's a very bad situation. And you mentioned at the start about the suicide. So obviously, yes, the longer this goes on, then mental health and suicide, you know, becomes a, an ever greater problem. And looking ahead, John, do you see a, a kind of economic day of reckoning here that the aviation industry is currently going through? Because even after the 100-day no-sale rule, even once we get past the summer, I think you we have to acknowledge that some people may be reluctant to start sailing and cruising straight away anyway, right? So looking ahead, this is going to be a very, very long-term process of recovery, isn't it? I, I agree with you. I, I think you know, it's very much they're going to be similar. Some, you know, like in hospitality ashore with sort of you know bars and, and, and clubs, they're going to be some of the last to get going again. Uh, did you see how the, um, I mean, you mentioned that CDC no-sale order, which at the moment expires on the 24th of July. Mm. But I think, astonishingly, can, can you believe that Carnival Cruise Line, they're actually planning to start cruising again on the 1st of August, just a week after that expiry, and they're planning to start up with eight ships cruising to the Bahamas no. and in the Caribbean, sailing from Port Canaveral in Florida and Galveston in Texas. I mean, I would be astonished if the CDC give them permission to do that. But of course, we know what's happening in the US politically. And uh, you can be sure that the CDC will come under political pressure to allow them to start cruising, even though from a public health point of view, as you said, we're not experts, that would be a completely crazy thing to do. But wouldn't the final word on that, John, But go to the public, won't it? Because if they don't sign up for the cruises, and I suspect there'll be a lot of reticence to do so, then they'll be losing money anyway. Yes, I, I agree with you. And I mean, one thing I've been saying you know, for some time now is that particularly some of the older cruise ships, I don't think they will ever carry passengers again. Mm. And uh, you're right, it will be very interesting to get... I mean, the, the cruise lines, again, they're trying to talk it up at the moment. They're saying they've got a lot of interest from people to cruise. But in fact, a lot of that interest is because with those last passengers uh, on the cruises, you know, um, in sort of March and April, what the cruise lines did very cleverly, of course, their marketing is very good. They gave things like 125% credit you know, uh, for your next, so basically a free, even better cruise in the future. Hmm. There'll, there'll be some demand to take that free cruise, but is your? But you're right. The the ordinary person on the Clapham omnibus would be completely mad to want to go on to a cruise when you've got in places like you know Europe and the US. COVID nineteen is rife. They don't know where it is. They don't know who's got it. Um, it would be mad. To, and of course. Once if Carnival start again on the 1st of August, if they're allowed, you only need one person, one passenger or crew member to have COVID-19. And then we're back to, you know, uh, the Diamond Princess and Grand Princess again. John, generally speaking, what is the financial health of many of these cruise lines? Can they uh, afford, you know, can they stay solvent uh, if they are not operating cruises for six months or nine months? Or do many of them run on a, on a very thin margin? 
Yeah, it's a very good question, and you're right. They do run on thin margins. You know, these days, you know, particularly the mass market ones, you know, it's basically, you know, pile it high and sell it cheap. You know, they've got, they've normally, they're normally carrying huge debts, of course, because obviously these, these mega ships are very expensive to build. So, um, well, we, we've already seen Norwegian Cruise Line, haven't we? You know, or they would have already gone best and seeking bankruptcy protection, but they had a big cash injection from investors, which has kept them going. Mm. And they have said they're hoping to resume sometime between July and September. But again, I'll be very surprised to hear that. But you're right. Without, you know, without support from existing investors or from governments, you're right, most of these companies are going to run out of money in six to nine months. So finally from me, John, do you see it following similar lines to the aviation industry then? It would be a real economic Darwinism that will take place and only the biggest and maybe the strongest will survive at the end of this. I think we're definitely going to see that, uh, you know, it's and like aviation, it's going to be working out over the next couple of years. But yes, I think definitely Darwin will be in action. Thanks to John Gorman, Charlton, the Master Mariner and Managing Director at Bridgestock Consulting. John, really appreciate your insight into the cruising uh, industry today here on Weekend Mornings. My pleasure. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.